0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Dally. Our guest this week is Ed Hamburger, President and Chief Executive Officer of the American Association of Railroads. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is a national coalition of sugar farmers, processors, refiners, and suppliers dedicated to preserving a strong sugar industry. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Light continues with Ed Hamburger next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. And they know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. The plan is called the Zero 040 Zero Sugar Policy. You can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The breadbasket of America depends on the rail industry to provide crop inputs and to connect the product of their work to ports and customers around the world. American Association of Railroads President and CEO Ed Hamburger says the structure of the rail industry is much different than other forms of transportation. We're not
1: like the interstate system. We're not like the, uh, the airports. We are owned maintained and operated by private companies certainly Union Pacific and Burlington Northern Santa Fe, BNSF, uh, out there in the west uh, of the Mississippi, Kansas City Southern, CSX, Norfolk Southern, Canadian Pacific, Canadian National, all household names to your listeners but what we try to emphasize is that these are private companies who are investing their money, not taxpayer money, into their networks for safety and efficiency to serve their customers, in this case, uh, the agricultural community.
0: What are your biggest costs?
1: Biggest cost clearly is uh, labor and then fuel and then basically uh, the maintenance of 140,000 miles of track spread around the country. We've got 22,000 locomotives. They go for in the range of $3 million each. And then our greatest recent expenditure is in the name of safety something called positive train control, which we're putting on about 60,000 of our miles of track. Anywhere a passenger train goes or anywhere a highly hazardous toxic by inhalation tank car goes, we'll have this new technology that is designed to stop the train before it runs through a red light, to put it in highway traffic terms. Or if it is exceeding the speed limit, it'll slow it down and stop it before an accident can occur.
0: Let's talk about the relationship between the rail industry and Washington through the committees in Congress to the recent full authorization of the Service Transportation Board. What role do you have with leadership from Washington?
1: Well, uh, pleased to say that uh, someone very familiar uh, to uh, the agriculture community, uh, Senator John Thune of South Dakota, became chairman of our Senate Commerce Committee with uh, jurisdiction over the railroads, and as you Uh, may know. He was, I guess, the railroad commissioner, I think, for the state of South Dakota, and uh, very familiar with the role that railroads play in the agricultural arena. Our subcommittee chairs of surface transportation, I call it the rail subcommittee, but it's uh, all modes of surface transportation, is uh, Senator Deb Fischer of Nebraska. So the agricultural viewpoint was front and center in their minds as they crafted this Surface Transportation Board reauthorization. I had the privilege to testify several times at hearings before that committee. In a proper and appropriate way, we were able to let the committee know what some of the concerns were that had popped up in previous pieces of legislation. And at the end of the day, we were supportive of this bill making it through Congress. It provides the Surface Transportation Board, some additional authority and power, but it also, we think, will help streamline some of their activities, and and, and that's always a good thing.
0: Let's talk about the relationship between the rail industry and agriculture. And obviously, agriculture is not the biggest percentage of your revenue, looking at some information that uh, you provided prior to our conversation here. But still, agriculture, is it important to you?
1: Jeff, it's only been important to us for 200 years. The railroad industry got, I believe it, start helping to move agriculture products to the uh, newly growing cities. It is incredibly important. We have a great relationship uh, with agriculture. I've been on this job 18 years now. And uh, in the summer of 1998, I was on the job 30 days when uh, we signed an agreement with the National Grain and Feed Association back here in Washington that set up a voluntary arbitration system Run by NGFA, run by the Grain and Feed Association, so that railroads and their customers could submit the binding arbitration issues around service, rather than having them become a federal case, so to speak. We believe it is important to try to solve these things directly and uh, between us and and our customers. So it, it's it's incredibly important.
0: I think there was some rub uh, a few years ago between the rail industry and and agriculture when some farmers and country elevators couldn't get rail cars. As a result of that situation, how are things now and did we learn from that that can make improvements to serve agriculture?
1: You know, that is a, a, again a, a a very perceptive and penetrating question and it goes right to the heart of your first question. And that is what is the makeup of this freight rail industry. And the makeup of the industry is again private sector companies who have the ability to react to market forces. What happened in two thousand thirteen and fourteen was a, a bumper crop in the American heartland with a good international demand at the same time, in that same area, there was a, a very large growth of other traffic, certainly uh, crude oil coming out of North Dakota, and that required also hauling sand and steel for the piping, for the drilling rigs, into North Dakota. We still had ethanol uh, moving at, uh, at great rates. And so what happened is that area of the network was overloaded. No doubt about it. That's what happened. Uh, But I I will say, and I said this in a hearing before uh, the Senate Commerce Committee in the the fall of 2014, we were in constant contact. Our our members were with their customers. And and this this, this, this huge boom in the export market for grain, uh, no one saw it coming. Uh, But nonetheless, it did occur. There was grain on the ground. And uh, one of the major haulers out there, BNSF, spent over $400 million in 2015 in North Dakota alone. Their private sector investment was $6 billion. The industry was $30 billion in 2015, private capital. And what we were doing was reacting to the changes in the marketplace. I mentioned coal being our number one historic commodity. We've spent billions of dollars putting quadruple tracks, that's four tracks, into Gillette, Wyoming, because that's where the Powder River Basin is headquartered. That traffic is down by 40%. Those tracks are still there, but what the market was telling us is we need those tracks, and we needed a double track and triple track across Nebraska and across North Dakota, and and, and so we were able to pivot, take uh, our private sector money and invest it to serve our customers. Uh, and now, uh, I think you, if you, if you uh, talk to the grain community out there, they would tell you they're getting great service. Part of that is because demand is down worldwide. There's a, I, I understand a, a surplus uh, around the world, uh, but it's also because we bought locomotives, we put steel on the ground, and we hired people. So we were able to react to what happened in the marketplace. It uh, was a little uh, behind the curve, and I know that my members have told their customers that they always try to be ahead of uh, the marketplace, but you can't always call it that uh, that accurately. But when we saw what had to be done, they spent their money, applied the resources, and now are providing the service.
0: Obviously, an interrelationship between agriculture and the rail industry. You count on each other. Uh, and from Washington, there are proposed regulations now coming from the Surface Transportation Board. And some of those you have great concern about, and one of those is forced access. Can you explain the reg, and, and can you explain why this is of such a concern to the American Association of Railroads?
1: Yeah, absolutely, And and I will get to the specifics of that regulation, but I would like to, if I might, just make sure that your listeners can can understand it in the context of what I was just talking about spending 30 billion dollars that we have to earn the old fashioned way we have to go out and earn it and then when we get it have it available to invest and reinvest to expand our capacity and that is occurring at a time when our business model is undergoing some uh, buffeting headwinds, where coal, which was uh, uh, 25 to 30 percent of our revenue, is now down to about 15 percent of our revenue, and 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 frankly, if you take a look at all the pro- projections, it probably isn't going to make a real big rebound. Uh, natural gas is uh, pretty low. The Environmental Protection Agency is. Uh, pretty strong. And so I think uh, coal is never going to get back to those levels. And so we're undergoing that stress from the marketplace and the government. And then the Surface Transportation Board has proposed to put an analogy on the table. It would be like saying to Coca-Cola, you've got to let Pepsi use your bottling plants when they need capacity to bottle Pepsi. Well, Coca-Cola's not going to you know, roll over and say, gee, that's a good idea, but that's what they're saying to the railroad. They're saying you have to make that track, that right-of-way, which you own, which you maintain, which you pay taxes on, which you're spending billions of dollars to expand and keep up to snuff from a safety and efficiency standpoint. Well, you just let your competitor come in here and use that. Well, that does a number of things. One, it takes away the business from uh, the railroad that's done the investment. And number two, it makes the railroad say, well, gee, why am I going to invest again? Fool me once, you know, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Why would I go ahead and spend millions and billions of dollars to maintain a network that you're going to tell my competitor to come in and use? So we think it's a bad idea. We think it's a particularly bad idea as the industry is trying to adjust to the changes in the marketplace. And so we are trying to get the, the Surface Transportation Board to take another look at that. We'll be filing comments. It's, a, it's, it's an ongoing uh, regulatory proceeding. Uh, we think we're on pretty solid ground that they're overstepping their legal bounds. And I will say that the piece of legislation that we were talking about that Congress passed last year It had nothing in it to tell them to do this, so they are not at all following the congressional dictates. Congress actually considered putting something in the the bill on this and decided not to. So, in our opinion, not only are they not following uh, congressional dictates, but they're actually acting in contravention to what Congress uh, is telling them to do.
0: So then me playing a devil's advocate, uh, some might suggest those rigs would be important, number one, to maintain that there's plenty of service, and second of all, that the rates are affordable. How do you respond?
1: Well, if you want good service, you want people to uh, be providing capacity and investment, and our belief is that this regulation would do just the opposite uh, and would uh, impede investment and therefore hurt all customers. Uh, those uh, who are taking advantage of this regulation and those who, who are not. And as far as the rates go, there are current procedures at the Surface Transportation Board from mediation to arbitration to more formal rate cases that are available to customers if they think that the rates they're paying are unreasonable. Those series of procedures have been taken advantage of by various and sundry uh, customers. The last scoreboard I saw... For the most formal of the proceedings, called a standalone cost test, uh, the, it, it's about 50/50. The the railroads win about 50 percent, and the customers win about 50 percent. Those are we acknowledge uh, very time consuming and can be costly. Uh, so the board, and with our support, uh, over the years has established simplified proceedings for cases of of smaller amounts of money at 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 play. And in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, the board uh started a proceeding for uh, very small rate cases. The, the idea is to try to make some sort of rate adjudication available to all uh, shippers, large and small, for all kinds of shipments, large and small.
0: I understand there's also a proposed reg that would cap rates.
1: That is being talked about. I'm pleased to say they've, they've had some hearings on it. They've asked for some written comments. They've just recently announced that they're going to push uh, any action on that particular issue into 2017. As You may know the legislation last year expanded the size of the board from three to five, the Surface Transportation Board, and uh, those two additional members have not been nominated. Presumption is that that'll be uh, the next president's privilege to uh, nominate those two additional, and I I think that might have been behind some of the thinking that uh, that kind of uh, really far-reaching upheaval of the industry is something that they wanted to have a full full uh, complement of board members but what, what what's being talked about is, is just to say basically uh, to the industry uh, you've you've earned enough uh, we're going to cap your rates we want you to continue to invest and what is very I think dangerous about it is uh, I, I mentioned all of the money that was spent uh, in 2014-15 because there were Grain sitting on the ground. There were automobiles waiting to be pulled from automobile factories. Uh, it was a systemic surplus uh, for the freight railroads that we were not able to handle, and that's why we spent $30 billion in 2015, $26 billion in 16 here. But what happened is that market changed again, and we find ourselves now with a couple thousand locomotives in storage, tens of thousands of rail cars in storage, Oh, we spent that money, we're ready if the economy comes back, but we're only able to survive through these down periods the same way the agricultural community survives through the down periods by being able to sell at market rates when the market's strong. So to cap market rates sort of says we're going to make, make you take all of the risk, and then when the market turns in your favor, man, we're not going to let you take advantage of that. That doesn't seem quite right to me.
0: When we think about where the rail industry is right now and recognizing, as you have mentioned, changes, where do you feel like you need to be five years from now, ten years from now? What do you need from your cooperating partners, and, and, and what do you need from Washington?
1: Uh, well, uh, we we'll, we'll got to Washington last, I guess. The most important thing, and it's, it's something that I have observed uh, in, in my role here, is you cannot be in – the business of logistics, unless there is a cooperation between uh, the carrier, that is the railroad, and the customer or shipper, and there has to be an understanding of what's the level of service required. There has to be an understanding. Uh, in in the case of exports, uh, you know, we've got to get uh, some of our American products. Uh, Fifteen hundred miles just before it gets on the doorstep of the world market well so you have to understand that and you have to work with your customer so that when you get to the doorstep of the world market uh, you know you can compete and so how do we become more efficient working together and so that to me is is really Uh, the the number one thing that we have to do. And I think there's been great strides made in that.
0: Does it concern you and does it concern the members of the rail industry that the two leading candidates for the White House seem to not favor or have concerns about trade agreements and expanded global trade?
1: That brings me back to your your last question, which I did not answer your second part, and that is what do we need out of Washington? Uh, We clearly benefit from active trade we are an industry that helps US manufacturers US agricultural community compete on world markets and of course we are there to bring the imports to the American consumer so I am hopeful that notwithstanding the rhetoric uh, that we will see a continued movement toward more trade Uh, you know is there a case to be made that every trade agreement can be made a little more fair, you know, fair trade. Uh, I, I assume that's right, but I think it's important to understand that jobs are created through trade, and and we would like to be part of, and in fact, we are working with U.S. Chamber of Commerce under their leadership. Uh, we've been working this year. It doesn't look like it's going to make it across the goal line, but to try to get that uh, Trans-Pacific trade agreement enacted. So you are right. That's where we are, and what, on a Sort of larger basis, what we need from Washington is the recognition uh, that we need balanced regulations. One of the things that is frustrating for us is that when you take a look at whether it's economic regulation or safety regulation or environmental regulation, when you pull out just one little regulation, you go, gee, that, you know, come on, Ed, that's not so bad. But, you know, it's the cumulative effect of all of the various regulations. Each one may be, uh, although some of the ones at the STB that we're talking about really are bad. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, you have to take a look at the cumulative effect of all of these regulations. Uh, uh, and what we'd love to see in 2017 would be uh, an aggressive uh, approach to corporate tax reform. The freight railroads are very near the top of the effective tax rate paid by corporate America. Our customers would prosper from it. And so, if we are competing on world markets against companies headquartered in countries that are 10, 15, 20% below where we are in the corporate tax rate, that has got to change. If we can change that, that will drive. Uh, international trade, uh, and it will drive investments and jobs in this country.
0: Ed Hamburger, we want to thank you very much for spending time with us here on Open Mic. Sir, it's Open Mic, and you have an open forum.
1: Well, thank you, uh, Jeff, and I would just uh, like to thank you for this opportunity to talk to your listeners and to emphasize the collaborative role that the agriculture community and the freight railroads in North America play together. Uh, And I... Have the, uh, the privilege of looking out on CSX's main line from my office right here in Washington D.C. And I saw some tank cars going by and I went to one of my colleagues and I said, what, 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 what is that? And he said, well, that's molten sulfur coming from Alberta going by rail car down to Florida where it's uh, mixed with potash to be made into fertilizer to be taken by rail car to the American breadbasket where it's used by farmers. Uh, to uh, become the most efficient and productive agriculture community in the world, and then their harvest is taken by rail to the Pacific Northwest for export to the Pacific Rim. What a great, to me, just, you know, I- example of how every step of the way rail and our customers work together to enable us as an economy to compete on the world market. And as long as we uh, can, can continue uh, to recognize that by doing uh, the collaboration, working together, we can continue to compete and do well on the international market, as well as feed tens of millions of, of our own citizens here, We need to continue to do that. That's the role our industry plays, connecting our customers to their customers. And we appreciate uh, the opportunity and the privilege of doing that uh, for, for your listeners, Jeff. And thank you so much.
0: Our thanks to Ed Hamburger, President and CEO of the American Association of Railroads. Our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is a national coalition of sugar farmers, processors, refiners, and suppliers dedicated to preserving a strong sugar industry. Learn more at SugarAlliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Allen.